1 Samuel 27, verse 1, and David said, read me the next three words out loud, please, would you? 1 Samuel 27, 1, and David said, in his heart. Let's say that again. And David said, in his heart. Who said that? David. Did God say it? No. David said it. Where did he say it? In his heart. Are you supposed to trust your heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose. And he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. What kind of city was Gath? Philistine, Philistine city. Goliath of Gath. David killed Goliath, the enemy of God's people. He said, uh, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He should defy the armies of the living God. And now he's joining up with the king of the same place from whence Goliath came. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his man, every man with his household, even David, with his two wives. Whenever I would read that phrase, when I pastored First Baptist in Bridgeport, I would say that's, and the people would all say, one too many. All right, so David uh, dwelt at Achish at Gath. He and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, that's one too many. Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath and he sought no more again for him. Would you notice that David's plan worked? He said, I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines and Saul will stop chasing me and trying to kill me. And it worked. Well, Brother Willette, you have to understand, uh, we've gone through contemporary music and we have more young people coming. It worked. Hey, I got a good plan. You want to give away, get more young people? Give away free beer. Give away free marijuana. Well, you can get a big crowd, but I don't know that you're going to do much for God with them. Uh, whether it works or not is not the test of whether it's right. The Bible is the test of whether it's right. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath. He sought no more again for him. Verse 5, David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gezerites and the Amalekites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. And David smote the land. Now, these people David's fighting are the enemies of God. They are also common enemies of the Philistines. The Philistines and the Israelites were fighting for the control of the same chunk of territory. And he was right to fight them, but look what it says then. And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive. He took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah. To what nation did the land of Judah belong? 
Israel. Is that where David went to fight? No, he went to the Amalekites, the Geshurites, the Gezerites. And the south, uh, uh, against the south of the Jeremelites, another part of Israeli territory. And against the south of the Kenites, another group that belonged to the nation of Israel. And David, look at this, saved neither man nor woman alive. To bring tidings to Gath, lest they should tell us, saying, lest they should tell on us saying, so did David, and so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, he hath made his people, Israel, utterly to abhor him. While he's been fighting and killing his own people, he sure belongs to me now. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. I'm going to talk to you on this topic tonight, the Lord helping me from failure to success. Lord, help us. As best I know, this is where you want us to be. Thank you for this wonderful group of people. Thank you for their faithfulness to be here this Monday night. And Lord, I know that some have come straight from work and have barely made it in and maybe just grabbed a little bite of food and maybe not even able to do that. And I appreciate that. And Lord, I, I want their time to be well invested, but I can't help them unless you help me. So would you please direct me and empower me and change my intention of what I might have said and help me to say anything that I should that would please you and leave anything out that wouldn't be helpful. And I pray you'd bind the devil and his demons. And Lord, that your spirit would be in control of my mind and voice and of our hearts and ears as we listen. And help us to obey you when you speak We'll thank you for meeting with us in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We find David at a time of despair. You see, David killed Goliath and that was good. And then he began to serve Saul in the palace and play his harp for him. And that was good. But then the people began to sing and they sang, David, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And Saul got jealous. And at least twice, I think maybe three times as I read the scripture, Saul took a javelin and threw it at David. David decided to run away. Saul was going to kill him. Let me give you a great Bible truth you may never have heard elucidated before. If you know someone is going to kill you, try not to be there when it happens. <laughs> David ran away. And a group of people followed him. Brother Fong, you know, I've never discussed this, but people have different ideas when the church began. Some say it began at Pentecost, and some say it began in embryonic form under the ministry of John the Baptist, at least, and some say it began with the Lord Jesus. But I believe the church started in the Old Testament because the Bible says that there went out with David everybody that was in debt and everybody that was in distress and everybody that was discontented. And if that's not an independent, fundamental Baptist church, I don't know what it is. And David gets down and he says, I'm going to die. Saul is going to kill me. He had twice opportunities in this book that we're reading, the book of 1 Samuel, to take Saul's life and would not do so. But now he thinks Saul's going to take his life. Now, can I tell you something? David believed that because of what he said in his heart. But can I tell you that David had no reason in the world to think Saul could kill him? Let me take you back to the New Testament and give you what I think happened, just how I imagine it at least, as an example, an illustration to show you why I don't think David had any reason to worry that Saul would kill him. I know he didn't have any reason. Peter's in jail. 
Herod has killed James. He sees that it pleases the people. He's fixing to kill Peter, probably going to kill him the next day. The church is praying, and Peter is sleeping. Sleeping. The angel has to wake him up. In fact, he's sleeping so well, he's out of the jail and, and some distance away before he realizes he's not dreaming. Now, here's what I imagine happening. I imagine somebody coming to see Peter. Peter, you know, Herod's planning to execute him. Yeah, I know that. Peter, can I do anything for you? We sure love you. We're praying for you. The church is praying without ceasing. And Peter says, yeah, bring me a mirror. A mirror? Yeah, give me a mirror. They bring him a little polished piece of metal, and he looks, and there's no more crow's feet at the corner of his eyes than there were before, and no more wrinkles around his jowls than there were before. And he says, now nah, I'll be fine. And he hands back the mirror and lays down and goes to sleep and doesn't awaken until the angel comes to rescue him. You say, why do you think Peter could have done that? Because Jesus, one of the last things he said to Peter was, when you were young, they, you went where you wanted to go, but when you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And I think Peter said, hey, I'm not old yet. And Jesus said, I'll live to be an old man. Herod can huff and puff all he wants to, but he won't blow my house down. Jesus is in charge of my life. David could have said, hey, Saul, chase me all you want to, but God said, I'm going to be the next king of the nation of Israel. And I don't know everything about it, but I know they never put a dead man on the throne. His despair came from what he said in his heart instead of what the word of God said. Your despair, your discouragement comes because of what you say in your heart and what you listen to, your own thoughts. I preached a sermon years ago when I was pastoring entitled, You Can Talk to Yourself But Don't Listen. In other words, you can tell yourself truth based on the word of God, but don't listen to those things that pop up in your head. You know, one reason you shouldn't do that is the devil puts thoughts in your mind. He can't read your mind, but he puts thoughts in your mind. That's what he did to Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, Satan has filled your heart to lie against the Holy Ghost. So David's despair is because he listens to his heart. And we do the same thing. Oh, it's never going to get better. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, things are just awful. Oh, our nation is falling apart. The Lord just struck me with this verse the other day. And I know it. I wasn't reading it at that time. But he just reminded me of it. The Bible says, fret not thyself because of evildoers. We got evildoers in politics. We got evildoers in Hollywood. We got evildoers in business. And, and they're out to harm and attack us. And they're against the things that we stand for. You know what you ought to do? You ought to listen to your choir. Maybe if that's on, uh, on video, watch that and listen to your choir. Get on YouTube, I'm sure. You've got it on a YouTube channel somewhere. And listen to your choir sing the first song tonight. Nothing ever can. Nothing ever will. And while you're listening, you keep thinking about that song. Fret not thyself against evildoers. It's been said a long time. I can't say it any better. I read the last chapter of the book and the good guys win. David's despair and then David's deceit. He goes around killing men and women. He's killing the women not because they are armed combatants, but because if they live, they might tell on him. And he's telling a lie to Achish and saying that he's fighting his own people and he's really fighting common enemies. And then he gets in real trouble. The Philistines decide they're going to go to war against Israel. 
And Achish says in chapter 28, hey man, you're coming with me. Boy, you've been killing all these Jews and telling me about all the people of your own tribe and country that you've been fighting. Now you get to strut your stuff right in front of me. And David said, wonderful. Hmm. David never should have been where he was. He never should have done what he did. But God's grace is greater than our stupidity. Praise God. And God arranged it so some of the other Philistine kings said, wait a minute, we don't want David going with us. Remember, remember that song, David has killed his tens of thousands? That was us they were talking about. We don't trust him in battle with us. And David gets to play the wounded and the offended one. And oh, he says, Aikish said, I know you're good to me as a, an angel of God, but you can't go with me to fight. And if you come over to chapter 30, you find... Actually, it's chapter 29 that the, the kings of Philistines got together. Chapter 30, you find David's disaster. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag. That's the city Achish gave him to live in, to have as his town. On the third day that the Amalekites, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they'd taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any. Isn't that amazing? The Amalekites were more charitable and honorable in battle than David was. They didn't slay any, great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, that's very good. We don't have any bigamists here, do we? were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Now things have gone so bad, these who have followed David through terrible times and in difficult straits are, are getting ready to kill their leader. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Look at this next phrase. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David's disaster is terrible. He, he loses his possessions. He loses his people. He, he may be losing his position, but then David makes a decision. He got in trouble because he listened to his heart. He said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. But now he's not listening to his heart. Now David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And David said, verse 7 of chapter 30, to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them without fail, recover most. Is that what it says? Look at verse 8. Thou shalt without fail recover some. Thou shalt without fail recover 
all. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, you mess up in your Christian life and God will forgive you, but you'll never be able to do what you used to do. You'll and we make people think that, that, that after a time of departure from truth, that they are relegated to a second, third, or fourth class situation and there's no point in doing them doing anything except kind of hanging around the edges of it. And, and I know there are some sins that you can commit that rob you of some opportunities. I understand that. But, but the Bible says that God told David he could recover all. David's not listening to his heart. He's looking to his God. He's not hearing an inner voice of his own doubt and despair and discouragement. He is looking to the God who has saved him, the God who delivered him out of the hand of the lion and the paw of the bear and who enabled him to kill Goliath and who's going to take care of him all of the rest of his life. Now we're going to see David's deliverance. It's interesting. Verse 9, David went, he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor where those that were left behind stayed. And David pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint they could not go over the brook Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field. Is Egypt a good country or a bad country? The Bible, is it godly or ungodly? Ungodly. Always a, always a type of sin of, of the world. They brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins and when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, to whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. Can I tell you, that is how the devil treats his most faithful followers. The devil's a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he devour. The Bible says uh, uh, he's like a lion devouring. I, I'm told that, that if you go to those great savannas, those grassy plains of Africa, and see where a lion has feasted on a prey, that they have eaten the meat, they have eaten the skin, they have eaten the entrails, they've cracked open the bones and sucked out the marrow. A bee may sting you, a dog may bite you, a bear may maul you, but a lion devours you. And I'm here to remind you, the devil has has nothing but destruction and death and damnation for those who follow him. Uh, he, he leaves you by the side of the road to die. Like the Amalekite did this Egyptian. He left me there because I fell sick. Verse 14, chapter 30, we made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and upon the south of the coast which belonged to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I'll bring thee down to this company. Oh, I see in David a wonderful example of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. David is often an example, or some would say a type of Christ. And here is this wounded, uh, this near dead Egyptian left by the side of the road, and he finds a Savior. And he said, Would you do me a favor? Would you promise? 
promise me you won't kill me. You won't tell me back to the hand of my old master. I remember the day that I got saved. I hope you remember when Jesus reached down his hand to you and he lifted you out of the miry clay and he set your feet on a rock and he established your goings and he put a new song in your heart and he said, I won't kill you and I'll never give you back to the hand of your old master. Can you take us? Yeah, I'll take you there. He brought him down, verse 16. They were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even into the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men which rode upon camels. And David recovered, what's the next word? All. <laughs> he recovered all. He recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And there, verse 19, was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David, say it with me, recovered all. So let me give you some directions from this story that Bible teaches us and things here. Number one, You've heard this said often. It's not at all original with me. Don't ever doubt in the darkness what you trusted in the light. It is always true that when God leads us, his will is clear. And then pretty early on in whatever endeavor we start for him, things get cloudy. It's just that way. Paul gets thrown in prison. Peter suffers persecution. The early church is forced to go underground, but they have a commission to take the gospel to the whole world, and they don't change just because it gets a little dark outside. And remember this, second direction. Remember that God's worry, I'm sorry, God's promise beats your worry every time. Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but what's the Bible say? The Bible does say he'll never leap us or forsake us. The Bible does say uh, he'll not uh, suffer uh, you. To, uh, I've, I've been old and now I'm young and now I'm old and never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. The Bible does say he'll meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Bible does say uh, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You can sit around and listen to your heart or you can get you a promise from the word of God and park there and hang on to it and say, God, you said, and I'm going to Believe what you said. God's promise beats your worry every time. The next one is this. When you listen to your heart, you'll always make a mess. You ever hear people say, preacher, well, I just think. Well, it seems to me, well, I just feel, well, I just can't escape this idea that. David listened to his heart. Ended up hooking up with the Philistines and having his village burned down. Because one bad decision always leads to another. 
we do something wrong and then we're asked about it and we lie and then that lie doesn't make sense and we tell another lie to cover up and pretty soon we're in so deep we're not even sure where the truth is ourselves and David finds himself in a mess. He'd have never imagined all of his children, his wives, the wives and children of all of his followers and all the possessions gone and those band of men that have followed him when nobody else did and Saul's 3,000 soldiers were chasing him. Now they speak about stoning him. He never thought he'd end up like that. But God's grace is greater than our stupidity. <laughs> I love the story of the Gibeonites, you know. Remember, they came down to the nation of Israel and they said, we'd like to make a league with you. And uh, Joshua and the men said, we can't do that. We can't make any league with the inhabitants of the land. Oh, we're not from here. We're from a long way away. Look, our, our shoes are worn out. Our bread is moldy. Our wineskins are cracked. Water bottles are about to leak on the ground. And the Bible says that Joshua asked not counsel of the Lord. And he made a league with them. And right after that, a bunch of kings get together and come against the Gibeonites. And and he finds out that they didn't tell him the truth. They, They lied. They were from really close by. And they've got to go protect him now. You know what God did? God helped the nation of Israel wipe out all those people who came against him. Battle they shouldn't have had to fought at that time, but God's grace is greater than our stupid. I am glad God helps stupid people because so many times I qualify. And then I want you to notice this. The beginning of your deliverance is when you turn to God. Lord, should, should I go fight these Amalekites? Should I go out against them? Will I be able to win if I go in battle? See, in many areas of our lives, we live as if we were unsaved. We, make, we, we think God's for the church house and we got some, some you know, kind of anchors about how we should have our family and how we ought to live in a wicked society. But when it comes to deciding whether to invest in this business or whether it comes to leave this job or whether it comes to tell our children off and give them a piece of our mind, I recommend against giving people a piece of your mind. Because I've checked it out and most of, most of us don't have too much To begin with, you don't have enough to spare. You shouldn't be giving pieces away. And we just go through life thinking we've got to decide and we can figure it out and we know best. And sometimes we do worse than even listening to our heart. We listen to unsaved people on the radio or the television or in some podcast or some piece of literature and we think they know how we ought to live. You'll never get out of trouble till you turn back to God. God, what do you want me to do? God, I'm sorry. In this area, I've been operating as if I were in charge. And then I want to say one last thing. Sometimes God lets you recover all. You know, there are marriages that have been damaged by the devil. And probably there's fault on the part of both partners. And you get the idea, man, we could never live happily together. This is never going to work. The best we're going to do is just survive until one of us dies. I got news for you. God wants you to recover all. 
Now, there are people that have lost some credibility with family members and friends and, and uh, maybe people at work and they've done dumb things that have damaged and diminished their testimony and they think, well, I'll never be able to have an influence again, but I got news for you. Sometimes God is going to let you recover. Oh, I, I know some people that sit back in the corner and they hang their head. I, we had a man in our church. He committed a terrible sin. He confessed it. I worked with him. He stayed in the church after a time. He got back in ministry, but he ran around with his head down looking at the ground in a hangdog, sheepish way. And one day I said to him, look at me. I said, you are a saved and forgiven child of God. And you go to a church with a bunch of other saved and forgiven children of God. You look everybody in the eye. That man got to become a positive example in our church. And I said, if you had a chance to speak to the church, what would you say? He said, I'd tell them sin is terrible, but I'd tell them God is wonderful. And I'd tell them when you mess up, don't run from God, run to God. And on a New Year's Eve, I had three laymen preach and I let him be one of them. And he told that story. He moved away. And the last I knew, he was leading an average of three to 400 people of Christ, uh, people to Christ every single year. And God let him recover. Sometimes you can recover all. Ulysses Garcia came to our church in the 80s. We were in our previous auditorium. He had a long ponytail, wore a leather motorcycle vest, and sat up in the balcony. And I probably should have got better connected to him. One day he stopped coming, and I found out that he thought in our church to be a Sunday school teacher, you had to have a college degree. We have no such requirement. We don't even have a literacy requirement probably a good idea, but we just never put it on the list. Before I could correct his misimpression, he was going to another church and he worked hard there and he served and he brought a lot of people in and the folks in the church appreciated him. And the best I can tell, the pastor got jealous. One night he went over to Brother Ulysses' house and he started reading him a list of the things he didn't like that he's doing. Ulysses said, preacher, I'm sorry. Just tell me what to do. I'll do anything you say. And the preacher said, no, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. And he got out of church and I heard about it and I started to call him. It was about a year and a half. Just about every week I'd call him and I'd call him and I'd call him and I'd call him. And finally one day he came back. And he got in the couples class I was teaching then and began to bring a lot of people in. He got a, an opportunity to work in one of our bus Sunday school classes and he was doing a great job. In fact, he gave me this ring. I won't tell you the whole story. But Brother Ulysses had always had a desire to start a church in downtown Saginaw, right in the inner city where people were moving from. He wanted to be there. One day, a man walked into his business, and he had a little business in downtown Saginaw, one of those businesses with the hand-painted signs and a ramshackle building, and he called it the Discount Service Center. He would go pick up stuff on trash day, fix it, and sell it. He'd fix people's lawnmowers, and he was very talented in that kind of stuff. The man walked into his business and said, hey, you know, our church is just a couple blocks from here. We're selling the building. We're going to go contemporary. We're going to start by meeting in a house. And if you want to buy it, it's $2,000 down and $200 a month. 
And Ulysses Garcia pulled $2,000 out of his pocket. And he paid the man the $2,000 and he bought the building. He came to me and said, preacher, I really think God wants me to start a church. And I said, God bless you, Brother Ulysses. You've been doing it for a long time. Think it's the will of God. Go ahead. We'll support you. And he was worried because he had the name picked out and he was afraid somebody might have already chosen that name. And he ran down to the county and to his great relief, no one had yet selected the name the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church for their congregation. He took that little old building, called it the Christ First Fellowship Baptist Church. He had me preach down there. Man, he fixed it up just as nice as he could. It wasn't like you'd do it. He had plastic flowers. <laughs> they were prettier than what it was before. And they either went soul winning or had church every day. And he had a little book, told me every service they'd had, how many people came, how many people got saved, and all the money they'd taken in and how they'd spent it, and he was winning people to Christ. I forgot to tell you this. No, I didn't forget. I deliberately saved it till now. <laughs> when he walked into that building he bought for $2,000 down and $200 a month, he was walking in to the very same building about which the preacher had said, you'll never darken the doors of this church again. <laughs> they can't kick him out now. He owns it. <laughs> Sometimes you can recover all. 